Welcome to The Daily Objective, a production of the Ayn Rand Center UK. We talk about current events from an objectivist perspective, and who better to talk about things from an objectivist perspective than the wonderful James Stevens Valiant, or Jim, as we affectionately refer to him. Good. Well, for me, it's just a little afternoon. Good afternoon, Jim. Well, hello. And For uh, you, it's morning still. We got yeah, all kinds of different yeah. time zones going on, right? Buenos dias. <laughs> Good morning out here. Well, you know, it's taken up a lot of news. It's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And today there is a march here in the States in support of Israel, Jews for Israel. I guess you don't have to be Jewish to go, but it's arranged by Jews. And we're going to talk about it. I'm Right off the bat, Jim, what are your thoughts about this? Is it a good thing? Um, is it a necessary thing? And what's the effect? Well, psychologically, for me, it was necessary. I have been in sort of post-traumatic stress over all the pro-Hamas, and that's the only way to put it, is pro-Hamas celebrations and rallies, which have been dripping with vile, anti-Semitic hatred, uh, defense of barbarity and savagery, and to see immediately, I mean, imme think about it, immediately in the wake of October 7th, the first things we got uh, were from politicians uh, denouncing Israel and people, uh, we, I, you know, the chance of gas the Jews in Sydney, Australia, or the, I mean, I <laughs> gas the Jews. I saw swastikas at, at demonstrations uh, in New York City within the, just a couple of days after well, just a few days after uh, October 7th. So, yeah, it's necessary. I find it necessary. I think it's necessary. Part of their motive was to intimidate. Part of their motive was to intimidate the pro-Israel group. And so, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's necessary. Um, it's bipartisan. Notice that Schumer's there. Hakeem Jeffries is there. The, the Democrat leaders of, the, uh, of Congress, as well as Republican leaders of Congress, the Speaker of the House, the new Speaker of the House, uh, is there. Um, so... It's bipartisan. I like that in the sense that we're that there's sort of a unified front. Notice, though, that the president and no one from the administration could be troubled to be there. Uh, I do have friends there right now. It's being uh, live streamed all over the place there. If I were close to D.C., I would be there uh, myself. And no, you don't have to be Jewish. I think I think what we need is some major solidarity for Israel right now. And so a demonstration of this kind, I think, is good. I think it was very necessary in the wake of the gross anti-Semitism that we saw. Um, I I think this needs to happen more and more. Now, uh, and I think it should be more than just Jewish people doing it. This is a question of civilization. And I think it framed, the way that's been framed uh, that way, it should have everyone, Jewish or non-Jewish, out there demonstrating for Israel right now. Uh, there's something that's really disturbing is, the, is that in the wake, you know, I was looking at news reports in preparation for this, and back in June, back in June, there were news reports talking about the sharp spike in anti-Semitic incidents. It's true that over the last 10, 20 years, uh, most of the hate crimes in the United States uh, very much disproportionately have Jewish people have been the victims of. People don't realize that. People think, oh, maybe it's blacks. Maybe it's, you know, what group is it maybe that's suffering so much? Or LGBTQ, trans people have been saying they're victims. I'm not denying that there's uh, discrimination against those groups. There certainly is. But if you think about it, it's over si about 60%, nearly 60% of all, this is before 
October of this year, mind you, 60% of all the reported hate crimes in America were directed against 2.4% of the population, the Jewish population. 2.4%, by way of contrast, about 12% of the population of America is African-American. Only 2.4% are Jewish, and 60% of the hate crimes have been directed against them. And this is before October 7th, and this is over a period of many years. So, and even before October 7th, we saw an ugly rise in anti-Semitism. Uh, I think we've discussed before, and Jerome Brook has a great talk on this. We've discussed before how Jewish people are associated with capitalism. Jewish people are associated with secularism. Jewish people are associated with things that, in my view, are positive, wonderful, good things, but that in many uh, people's minds uh, make them just as evil. If you think about the the pre-Nazi Germany, the same kind of slogans, you know, clean the streets and da-da-da. We're hearing that same kind of vile, ugly talk and rhetoric now as a matter of routine. Um, I have nieces that are half Jewish. I'm worried about them. Jewish kids are having to hide in libraries. They don't have lunch together at, in, in, in commissaries at, at colleges and universities and other public facilities. That's scary. That's scary. And in just this month, the number of anti-Semitic incidents has risen hundreds, uh, hundreds fold. Let me put it that way. Uh, and that's really, really disturbing. So, yeah. Do I think they're necessary? Do I think they're good? Absolutely. And I think all of my Jewish and non-Jewish friends should be participating in pro-Israel rallies right now in the face of the hatred. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I am not a groupthink kind of person. I am not a groupthink kind of person. But when there's, I guess I'm kind of like Ayn Rand. She she said I, I, she comes from came from Jewish background. She said I never bring up the fact that I'm Jewish except when confronted with anti-Semitism. And there was a party at her home, very famously in the 1940s, where a good friend of hers actually said, "I don't like Jewish intellectuals." And I said, "Well, then you don't like me. Then you don't like me." And I kind of feel that way um, about it. I'm not big on on defending a group qua group but when it comes to what's just been going down against israel and jewish people yeah that's when i think we need to stand up and whether we're jewish or not say we're all jewish you know what i mean yeah um and that's how i feel about it so you mentioned the, the one of the reasons for the anti-semitism is this stereotype of jews as capitalists and and bankers now, you are far more of a historian than I am. So if I get any of my facts, feel free to wrong. Feel free to correct me. But I believe that that role of Jews being moneylenders arose in the Middle Ages because of the prohibition amongst, amongst Muslims and Christians from loaning money at interest. So the Jews were the only ones that could fill that role. And they weren't really allowed to do anything else. So they filled that role. And not only that, but the fact that you had the diaspora in, in you know, throughout the world, Jews were able to facilitate large capital transfers throughout the world that were necessary and that wouldn't have been able to get done without them. So to hate them for their virtue is sickening on, on its own. But I also want to ask you, Jim, I got to, I want to read these super chats first. Uh, Bonnie Bertrand is in for 99 cents and Jeff Bannister is in, I think that's $5, uh, but it says CA before it. And I don't know if that's a special kind of currency or if it's Canadian. Oh, Canadian. Okay. Canadian $5. So my question, Jim is 
does and let me explain why before why I'm asking before you answer it. Does anti-Semitism explain all of the opposition to Israel? And the reason I ask is two things. One, uh, I think Peter Schwartz wrote an excellent piece about the people that that side with Hamas or inside with the Palestinians. And he says it's altruism that if you ask them, it's because they view them as the needy. And when someone's needy, you owe them. And then there's also, a, I think he's a political philosopher. Arnold Kling is his name. And he had, I mean, let me get it out. I have it here. I just don't want to butcher it. He has these uh, sort of three ways that you can look at, uh, three ways that politics are, are looked at. And it's conservative, liberal, and libertarian is how he breaks it up. And he's got, basically, the liberals are, are the left. He says they view things as power differentials. So whenever there's a power differential, as there is in, in the case of, um, okay, here it is. Progressives view things at, in terms of oppressor and oppressed. Libertarians view things in terms of coercion and freedom. And conservatives view things in terms of civilization and barbarism. But it, it, without getting into this whole sort of setup there, uh, but the, the progressive view of, in terms of oppressor and oppressed, I think can explain a lot of this, is that people say, if you're the weaker side or if you're the side that's less well off, that necessarily means you're oppressed and therefore there's an oppressor that we have to hate. So I don't just want to chalk up everything to anti-Semitism because I think there's another opponent here as well. Well, I think there's a connection. I think there is okay. a connection, um, but I think you're right. And I think uh, uh, Peter's right too. And what an excellent uh, thing oh, he wrote. It was fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I'll, absolutely. Um, I, I'd ask you to consider the relationship between altruism and Judaism. In Islam and Christianity, there is a much stronger strain of altruism and collectivism. There really, really is. Oh, yeah. Uh, and um, if, for example, I mean, we, we all know uh, uh, the, the great rabbi who said, if I am not for me, who will be? If I'm only for me, who am I? Right? Jim, it was At Hillel, least. and that was in my head before you said it. <laughs> and so if there is even an area where we can be selfish, which is what Jewish wisdom, at least a part of Jewish wisdom, has sure. long indicated since the days of Rabbi Hillel, right. that they are identified as, the, and you're absolutely right, look at usury. Jesus said it was a sin to charge interest on loans. And Christians took that very, very seriously for the first thousand years they ran Europe. Um, it, the Catholic Church uh, during the late Middle Ages started looking the other way and allowed uh, Catholic Italian bankers like the Medicis. So that you had Christian banking really didn't emerge until the late Middle Ages and early Renaissance in Genoa and Florence with Italian bankers. Until that time, until that time, Christians in Europe were forced to use Jews if they wanted any credit to, to, to you know, any kind of economic expansion was sort of dependent on credit, as you know, as a student of economics. And so what would happen, and I think you've noticed this as well on uh, uh, podcasts we've done here at RQK, um, European kings, you know, like Edward I, he would borrow a bunch of money from the Jews. Now that he's up to his earlobes in debt, he would expel all the Jews from the country, <laughs> take their property. Well, and then when a few years go by, well, let's invite the Jews back to England. And, uh, oh, let's get in debt and borrow a bunch of money from the Jews. Oh, let's expel them once more from England. And that is exactly 
the history of Judy of Jewry in Europe. They were exploited. They were, of course, congregated into ghettos, an Italian word. Yes, places like Venice, Italy, and stuff. They would they would force the Jews into one sp spot in the town. That's where we get the word ghetto. So we get the word ghetto is the segregation of Jewish people long standing in Europe. Now, <clears throat> traditional racism in a lot of ways has broken down in the liberal Western mind. One of the things that's, uh, I think, causing the resistance here with Jewish people in particular is because it's identified more as an ideology. Let me give you an example. I mean, if I criticize Islam, I'm not being racist. I'm criticizing an ideology any more than if I criticize Christianity, I'm being anti-Christian. Um, uh, the, the, the thing is people to begin to think that Jewishness is this evil ideology, this insidious, greedy ideology. And it's a mixture. It's a mixture. It's not so much a racial genetic thing in, uh, in many people's minds because they understand, you know, Jewish people, it's an amazing thing. You'll have African-Americans who are Jewish or I mean, it truly Africans in Africa who've been Jewish for centuries. And you have a wide range. You have Sephardic Jews who are more, more uh, Arab and Semitic in their background. You have European Ashkenazi Jews who are more like Europeans in their genetic background. So in people's minds, Jewishness isn't necessarily a genetic thing. And we know genetic racism would be bad. I think it's ideological. I think it's ideological. I think they associate Jews with a certain set of greedy, secular uh, uh, ideology. And both Christians and Muslims, in my experience, you'll hear it, and I've heard it for years, under the surface, these anti-Semitic things that relate to the religion and ideology and customs of the Jewish people. Now, is it altruism, basically? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's altruism. It absolutely is altruism. Um, if you look at the spectacular success, you know, let's think how long Jewish people have been suppressed and oppressed in the as minorities in the majority communities in which they've lived historically. Um, and once there was a lift, just a little lift in the last 200 years of that oppression, look at the spectacular flowering of Jewish achievement in the sciences, in the arts, in business. I mean, uh, you know, I have to admit something. I was always, as a college student, more comfortable among, I I'm not Jewish in background, I come from Protestants, but I was always much more comfortable hanging out with the Jewish kids. Not that the, their Jewishness, I'm not going to wear a yarmulke and go, go to the synagogue with them. On the other hand, they were more secular in their orientation, more practical in their outlook, easier for me to connect with values on, even though I come from a perfectly Christian background. I think it's the culture. I think it's. I think there's a psychological ambiance to being Jewish that a lot of people find very disgusting. I'm gonna. It's not just Rashida Tlaib's. I want to make one more point. It's the Barack Obamas. President Barack Obama is the Rashida Tlaib light when he says we're all complicit in October seventh. No, we're not all complicit in October seventh. He, of course, in subsidizing Iran and uh, you know, appeasing Iran for all those years, he is personally responsible, in my view, for October 7th. But more than that, when you hear him say, well, what uh, it is terrible what happened, this is the way he put it, it's terrible what happened on October 7th, but what the Palestinians are suffering in Gaza is unbearable. Yeah, it's unbearable, and it's Hamas's fault. Hamas right. has been brutally oppressing that place and occupying that place for 17 years now. So it, it's saying, 
okay, what's terrible what happened there, but it's a justification. It's a justification for what happened on October 7th. That is hateful, anti-Semitic bigotry. Barack Obama is a hateful racist. And he says it with a soft sell, as opposed to the real hard sell of a vile person, you know, the Hamas wing of the Congress like Rashida Tlaib. That's the only difference in my mind. Years ago, before I was even an objectivist, uh, I, I was I used to go to Jewish services in prison and the rabbi who was a great mentor to me. And some of the things you're saying really resonate because he said Jews have a far greater emphasis on pleasure. On they basically view it as a sin to not enjoy life, to not have a pleasurable existence. I mean, even the holiday of Purim is all about pleasure and you know getting drunk and celebrating. A few of my uh, friends uh, did a little drinking <laughs> around that. I know this. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and a lot of that is because of the intellectual nature of it, and it's still a religion. Don't get me wrong; there's still oh, yeah. the, 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 the irrationality. But the rabbis in the Talmud would debate constantly, uh, you know, about these issues. And when I decided I wasn't going to be Jewish, that they, you know, I atheism just became too clear to me. And I went and I talked to that rabbi and I said, listen, if you don't want me to come to your service anymore, I won't. I'd like to because I like to learn. There was a lot of historical discussions, philosophy. And he said, Michael, he said, Judaism isn't like other religions. He said, we're far more concerned with what you do than with what you believe that if you're a good human being that's what matters it doesn't matter if you put your faith in god or you know whatever and so i what you're saying just it, it it's really connecting with me uh from my past and going to Judea, jewish services I have christian friends who became largely atheists who now identify as jewish there are people like that. They're not objectivists, obviously. If they had objectivism squared away in their head, they wouldn't need to identify as Jewish, with, as ex-Christians. But ex-Christians who lose their religion and then identify as Jewish is a phenomenon. And I think your rabbi speaks to that point. They're just feeling more comfortable in a more tolerant, let's face it, the most secular of all religions in the world today has got to be Reformed Judaism. During oh, the Enlightenment, sure. the, during the Enlightenment, uh, uh, a great, great Jewish thinker, Moses Mendelssohn. Yeah, the grandfather of the composer Felix Mendelssohn. And the family did convert to Christianity, uh, at least part of it, when the generations went on. So by the time you get to Felix Mendelssohn, he was nominally a Christian. But his grandfather, great-grandfather, was this amazing guy. He's the founder of Reformed Judaism. And if you think about it, Reformed Judaism is absolutely the most secular religion out there today. Uh, but let's even back up further. When uh, I people uh, the small small pitch for my book Creating Christ uh, back when the Jewish War happened two thousand years ago and uh, the Romans shattered uh, uh, Judea destroyed the temple reduced it to the Wailing Wall it is today uh, and in the second Jewish War in the second century caused the diaspora by expelling Jews not that Jews ever really left the area because there have always been Jews in that area but the Romans by law. Uh, after the Second Jewish War in the early second century, expelled Jews from the area, officially inaugurating this uh, diaspora. Christian uh, Judaism broke up into different segments, it seems to me. The radical, violent ones would separate off and eventually become Islam. 
the pro-Roman all the way paganized Hellenizers became Christians in effect. And so what happened to mainline Judaism? Well, it survived basically at the school of Yavne, uh, Yohanan ben Zakkai founding rabbinic Judaism sort of there. And uh, what did Judaism become largely? A debating society. A debating society. What was the essence? If you ask me, what's the essence of Judaism? Well, it's a sense of cultural identity and all of that, but it is much more uh, flexible about the beliefs, like you say, like your rabbi in prison said. <laughs> We're much more flexible about the belief part because, after all, there's what, what's the old jo joke? You get you put three rabbis in a room together and you end up with five opinions. Well, <laughs> there's something to that. Judaism, in effect, became well, let's debate the town. Uh, and, yeah. and a whole oh. lot of kibitzing, too. Kibitzing, right? Exactly. <laughs> a lot of it between people. So there, there's something to that. If you're willing to tolerate radically different interpretations of Torah and debate them out and flesh it out and, you know, well, that's okay. You think that? I think that. That also promotes a, a degree of uh, religious tolerance within that community. So in my view, over the bulk of the last 2,000 years, uh, uh, Judaism has been, in effect, far more intellectual, far more secular, far more this worldly, and within its uh, own confines, far more tolerant of disagreement. Um, no Jim, question. do you think, first uh, to, to comment on something you said about the people who are kind of identifying as Jewish, is that the, the, when Ayn Rand said that there were times she would say she was Jewish, and Sigmund Freud, uh, also when, you know, well-known atheist he said something to the uh, to the effect that of deep in my core i i recognize that i'm a jew and i find that very f fascinating but mm -hmm. anti-semitism has you know it's always been around and there seems to be a in a, a, a what's the word i'm looking for a perception that it's on the rise right now do you think that it's really on the rise or do you think that it's just more salient, whereas it was sort of, you know, under the surface up until now? Well, as I say, I was looking back at news reports just from June and July of this year before October 7th that were uh, the headline was anti-Semitic incidents on the rise. Now, that was before October 7th. There were news stories this year about the rise in anti-Semitism. Wow. Um, so I I have to think that yeah uh, there is a degree of anti-Semitism that's all that's been rising. I think I've noticed it if you just ask my uh, informal opinion throughout the 21st century, over more than the last 20 years. Strangely, since 9/11, there's been more visual, visible, and <laughs> heard anti-Semitism than I ever heard growing up. Uh, sure. You know, and of uh, course the conspiracy theories. You, you know about Jews being behind 9-11 and not going to work on, on that day in the World Trade Center and all kinds of wacky things. So you, you, there's probably something to that. that some that of our then. libertarian uh, folks over there are some of the worst, you know, yeah. interacting on Twitter. I just have to say some of the worst. They're disgusting. They're disgusting. disgusting. Absolutely yes. disgusting. Uh, everyone hates, I get, what was it someone who said to me? Well, if everyone hates you, of course, you have to expect this. So just hating the Jews is just built in. Yeah, the Islamic world, the European world, there's all this Jew hate. We just have to accept hatred of Jews. And that's it. So just suck it up for October 7th. There's really nothing we can do. And so America should stay hands off and stop funding, helping Israel in any way. What? I mean, 
that is a kind of, see, it doesn't present as anti-Semitism, does it? But the effect is anti-Semitism. And so I think there are distinctions that we draw, uh, that we can draw. But if you're so blind as to see, <laughs> as to not see that this is, I mean, what is Hamas but anti-Semitism in its most vile, violent, atrocious form? Any kind of sympathy for that, defense of that, justification of that, is in effect a soft kind of bigotry. Um, there's no other way of looking at it. If you open your mouth one little bit to say, but Hamas has a justification, but we have to, no, 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 you are advocating uh, what did the Hamas leader say after October 7th? We're going to have October 7th again and again and again until there is no more Israel. Whoa, there's no negotiating with that. And if you can't see that, if you can't see that that is the enemy, that kind of bigoted, you know, blood dripping from your mouth kind of hatred of, 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 of all Jews as such, yeah. uh, then you yourself are sort of sanctioning and helping out uh, anti-Semitism in my view. And uh, I'd like to name them. You mentioned the libertarians on Twitter. If you look, you if you look up Scott Horton, Dave Smith, or presidential candidate Michael Rechtenwald, then you can see some of the what I view as disgusting comments. And you can even check out a debate that I had with Mike Rechtenwald on, on my podcast Ooh. about reason versus faith. And a really uh, good one, you, folks. You can check, it check out. that out. So up next, we have oh, where, real quick, Frank Grail uh, donated two dollars on a super chat. Thank you, Frank. And uh, we have to wrap up. But up next, of course, we have the reality show. And Daniel, I don't know what else I'm supposed to be announcing. <laughs> it's, I'm remiss in my duty here as the MC. <laughs> Can you tell uh, me what else? We have the reality show coming up in uh, about three minutes. Link for that is in the chat. And then uh, one hour after that, so at 7 p.m. UK time, we have the Fountainhead Book Club for ARC UK members. And after awesome. that, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of The Daily Objective and The Reality Show. All right. And well, th thanks for allowing me this opportunity. And thanks for s sharing the screen with me, James. It's been wonderful as usual. And thanks Always. to all the listeners and all the watchers. Take care. Be well. You too. Take care.